Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. If I didn't greet you earlier, and uh, it seems a little strange to be up here. I've missed two weeks. Uh, I'm proud of you folks. The church went on without us, and that's, that's good to know. Uh, but I did miss being here. We thought of you all. We were in two large Catholic cathedrals the last two Sundays. In fact, in Notre Dame in Paris last Sunday. That's, so that was pretty cool. Um, but it's good to be back and be with you folks. We're going to start a new series today, and if you're new with us, we usually take a topic and we talk about it for several weeks in a row. So this new series is right in the eye, and today's topic is Stranger Than Fiction. And uh, we're going to talk about a story that's almost unbelievable, Stranger Than Fiction. It's most probably one, of the, maybe the most outrageous story in the Bible, and after we, you hear it and we read part of it, uh, uh, maybe it'll encourage you to read, just because of how strange it is. Um, and hopefully pull some lessons out of it for us, us, to, us today. Um, most of the series are going to come out of an Old Testament book called the Book of Judges. And uh, Judges takes place a long time ago. A um, little quick history of um, the Israelites. I guess the first Jew would be Abraham. And Abraham came along and he had a son, promised son, Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. Okay? Jacob had twelve sons. And all these sons became big, large families or tribes. All right? And then the Israelites spent over 400 years in Egypt. And most of you know the story about Moses. If you watch the Ten Commandments. They took them out of Egypt. They wandered around for 40 years. And then he went into the promised land, and Joshua led them into the promised land about 1830. And that took decades to to conquer the promised land. Then Joshua dies. And then there's this period of 330 years that's covered by the book of Judges, where they had the law, Moses and the Ten Commandments, they had that law, but they had no king. They had the law, and then these judges would come along and try and teach the law, and then at times they would have problems and they would be deliverers. Samson's probably the most famous one that most of you might have heard of. Well, it's kind of like, these 12 tribes are kind of like the 13 original colonies. There's no centralized government. They spoke the same language. In their case, they all had the same religion. They were all the same nationality. They were all Jewish. But they were kind of loosely connected. Now, size-wise, it would be more like the state of Maryland and the counties. I don't know how many counties we have, but today we had 12 counties. And so each county had its own government. They're kind of loosely connected. So that's what the nation of Israel was like back during the time of the judges. Now, <clears throat> the people didn't do a very good job of obeying the law. And they had a lot in common with you and with me that they didn't like to be told what to do. Anybody like to be told what to do? Now, none of us like to be told what to do, right? So they didn't like being told what to do. So they did what they wanted. Does that kind of sound familiar? (laughs) Um, Anyway, so then they would go through this cycle. They would have God's law, and they would disobey the law. And any time we disobey the law, either moral law or, or government law or God's law, we have problems. In fact, they would have disasters. Most of the time, they'd be invaded by foreign countries. And so, um, 
after the disaster, they would cry out to God and make promises to God. Okay, we'll obey from now on. Then God would send a deliverer like Samson or someone else. So they would go through this cycle over and over again. They disobey, do what they wanted instead of what they should do, and they would have problems and disasters, and then they'd cry out to God, and God would bring a deliverer. <clears throat> now, just like you and I, when the deliverance would come, we would usually say something like, I'll never do it again, right? For about a week or two, right? <laughs> and then we fall back into our bad habits. <clears throat> so, uh, come for them, come for us, to disobey. It probably started out with our parents, right? They were probably the first ones we disobeyed. And then maybe a school teacher or school principal. And then maybe we got older, we started disobeying maybe some of the laws of the land um, and um, get ourselves in trouble. And then someone would come along and help us. You know, if you're in school and, I mean, if you're a teenager and got arrested, you'd call your parents, they'd come and get you out of jail probably or whatever, right? And you would get a second chance and a third chance, etc. So this went on in the nation of Israel for 330 years. And that's a long time. Our nation's not even that old yet. So, a long time. We're going to fast forward to the end of the story. The end of the 330 years. The end of the book of Judges. Because it's going to give us the uh, theme for our series. Um, and the people did what they wanted to do. Now, again, there's 12 tribes, and none of the characters have names in this story. And again, it's kind of an outrageous story. It's kind of long and complicated. I'm going to share most of the story, put some names on the screens, kind of keep track of characters, and then we'll read some Bible verses, and then we'll draw some conclusions, and hopefully you'll be out of here by around 12 o'clock, okay? So, the main character is described as a Levite. That means he's from the tribe of Levi. That was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And he lived in a town called Ephraim. Now, the story describes him as having a concubine. Now, we don't know what concubines are today, and they're kind of hard to describe. They were kind of part servant, part girlfriend, part wife deal, okay? Um, so... And that the concubine was from Bethlehem. Now, the Christmas story is coming up. Bethlehem is of, of what tribe? Bethlehem of Judea, right? So they were descendants of Judah. So he, he brings this lady from Bethlehem to live with him for a while. She is unfaithful to him. Um, and so we don't know why. Either he kicked her out or she decided to leave. And she goes back home to Bethlehem. Time passes by. And I think the Bible says like four months go by. And for whatever reason, either he thinks his possession, he owns her, or because he misses her, he goes back to Bethlehem to get his concubine and bring her home. <clears throat> now, to get from where he lived to where she lived, he had to pass through another tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. All right? And so... He goes down to Bethlehem. The Bible says he has a servant with him and two donkeys. And he arrives there and her dad is not too happy about the situation. And so he tries to put it off to delay the situation. So he says to the, to the Levite, hey, um, welcome. Uh, let's, let's have a celebration. Let's have a party. And so at the party that night, he gets drunk. He has a hangover. 
you know, it's like noon the next day before he gets up. And so it's too late to take his, her dad says, hey, it's too late to start your trip. Why don't you hang out here for another day? And so that night they celebrate again. He gets drunk. He has a hangover. It's noon the next day before he gets up. Ah, it's too late for you to start on your trip again. So this goes on for five days. Finally, on the fifth day, he says, I don't care. It's the middle of the day. It's late. We're going to leave. And so he gets his concubine, his servant, and his two donkeys, and they start off. Well, consequently, since it's late in the day, they don't get very far. So eventually they get to the town called Gibeah, and that's in the tribe of Benjamin. <clears throat> so it's still Israelites, but just a different tribe. All right? <clears throat> they get there. They go into town square, where the use of the well is, and there's no hotels, no restaurants, and so forth. So what you have to do is you hung around in the square until somebody invited you to their house for the night, which was the common method of being housed if you're on a trip, especially if you're another fellow Jew. Well, nobody invites them home. They're stranded out in the square. So it gets dark and the evening's passing through. And eventually, a guy comes by. He happens to be a Levite from Ephraim that's living in Gibeah, all right? And he's an older gentleman. He says, oh, well, let me invite you to my house. So he invites them to their house, and they start uh, spending the evening together. We're going to pick up the Bible story here and start reading some of it. All right, this is in Judges chapter 19. While they were enjoying themselves, a crowd of troublemakers from the town surrounded the house. They began beating at the door and shouting to the old man, bring out the man who is staying with you so we can have sex with him. Told you it was a pretty outrageous story. But anyway, now, this wasn't about sex. It wasn't about sexual gratification. This was about humiliation. Um, this was during that, their culture. It, it carried over into the Greek culture and into the Roman culture. When you conquered somebody or you wanted to dominate somebody, this is what you would do. All right? So it was about humiliation. And so they were fellow Jews, but they weren't fellow Benjamites, and they didn't like them too much, and so they wanted to humiliate uh, this man. So the story goes on. The old man stepped outside to talk to them. No, brothers, don't do such an evil thing, for this man is a guest in my house. Now, this is a big deal. When you were, had somebody as a guest, you were responsible for them, and you were responsible for protecting them. And so it was going to uh, reflect badly on this man if this, he would allow this to happen. He says, such a thing would be shameful. It would be outrageous. It would be horrible. Now, here's where the story really, if it isn't weird enough, <laughs> it gets really weird. Uh, next verse. Here, take my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. I will bring them out to you, and you can abuse them and do whatever you like. Now, I have a daughter. She's actually here. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that. Uh, but that, again, this is a different culture, different morals, and, and more important than his daughter was this hospitality thing, this guest thing. But don't do such a thing, sinful thing to this man. So what transpires? Um, they wouldn't listen. So the Levite took hold of his concubine and pushes her out the door. Closes the door. Now, I'm not going to read you the next part. You can read it for yourself if you like. But it's, just, it's, it's horrible. Now, the night passes. The Levite wakes up in the morning. He opens the door and there's his concubine laying on the sill of the door. He says, get up, let's go home. And she doesn't move. She's dead. 
So he gets his servant, two donkeys, his dead concubine, and he goes back home. Now he's angry. He's outraged. And so he decides to send a letter to all the 12 tribes and tell them what happened. Because this was shameful. This is outrageous. But he says, they're not going to pay much attention when I just write them a letter. So he comes up with this idea. He chops the concubine up into 12 pieces and attaches a piece to the letters. So I don't know if anybody here works for the post office, but uh, here was the delivery. A letter with a package. And can you imagine being a mayor a day or two later getting this package? It didn't smell very good. You open it up and there's a body part in it. So consequently, uh, the whole nation of Israel, except for the tribe of Benjamin, of course, is outraged. So we pick up the story in verse 30. Everyone who saw it said, such a horrible crime has not been committed in all the time since Israel left Egypt. So I know some bad things have happened. We've done some wrong things. But this is the worst. Nothing like this has ever happened. We're hit the bottom of the barrel. And they go on. Think about it. What are we going to do about this? Who's going to speak up? Who's going to, you know, intervene? Who's going to take care of the situation? And so what they do is they gather as a nation. uh, Chapter 20. United as one man from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, including those across the Jordan and the land of Gilead. Two of the tribes that lived on the other side of the Jordan. The entire community assembled in the presence of the Lord at Mizpah. Now, by the way, this is about the only time God's mentioned in the whole story right here. So here's the plan. We're going to gather an army from these 11 tribes and we're going to go over the, to, the, to the Benjamins and demand justice. And the idea was they would say, okay, here's the guys that did this. So they do that and they get there and the Benjamin says, no, uh, we'll take care of this. Or we don't know what they said. They just said no. And so there's a big battle. And the first day that thousands of tens of thousands of people are killed and the Benjamites win. And so the next day they go to battle again. And the same thing happens. The Benjamites win two days in a row. And tens of thousands of people have died. Started off with a concubine dying, right? Now we've got tens of thousands of people dying. So they asked the Lord, should we go to battle the third day? And God says, yes, and I'll give you a victory. So they come up with a better plan the third day. They say, okay, we'll attack the, the city. And when they push back, we'll start running away and they'll chase us. And part of the army is waiting. So when the army chases us, they can capture the city and that's exactly what happens so they capture the city they set the city of fire they kill every man woman child and animal in the city now the army the Benjamite army is out away from they turn around to see the city on fire they go back but they're completely defeated except for 600 men escape so all the Benjamites in that town are killed except for 600 now they didn't stop there They didn't just stop by destroying this one town. They went and destroyed every Benjamite town. Killed every man, woman, and child, and animal in those towns. Before they're, you know, they calm down. And then, we don't know how long, but it may be a few days later, they say, "Uh uh-oh, what have we done? We've just wiped out one of our tribes. (laughs) Instead of 11, 10, 12, we have 11 now. And somebody raises their hand and says, well, I think there's like 600 of them still alive. They're all men, though. 
So they're going to die out. What are we going to do? So somebody else says, hey, was there some city that didn't help us in this battle? Yeah, I don't think there's anybody here from a town called Jabesh Gilead. So then they come up with this plan. Let's kill all the men, women, and children and animals in Jabesh Gilead. Told you it was an outrageous story. Except for the virgin daughters. All right? Now, I did skip one, one detail. When they decided to go to battle, they made an oath. We're never going to give any of our women to the Benjamite men. They made an oath. So, now there's 600 men. That's all that's left of the Benjamites. They kill all the married and, and, and males in Jabesh Gilead except for the virgin daughters. And they say, they take the virgin daughters to the Benjamites, the 600, and say, hey, bad news is we just wiped out all your brothers and sisters and parents and relatives. We destroyed all your cities. The good news is we brought you some women to be your wives. Uh, the bad news is there's not enough, there's not 600 of them. And so they say, what are we going to do now? Some of the men don't have husbands. Well, we had this celebration of the virgin women in Shiloh every year. And um, we can't give our daughters to you, but if you hang out in the woods, and uh, when they're celebrating, you just jump out and grab one and take them home, we won't break our oath, and then you all have wives. And so that's exactly what they did. And then the book of Judges ends in the story. No heroes, nothing good. 330 years of doing what was right in their own eyes. And so this is the last verse of the book of Judges. Here's what it says. In those days, Israel had no king. God was supposed to be their king, right? But there wasn't anybody literally there to to keep order. And so then the book of Judges ends, ends with this statement. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Sound familiar? Vaguely? We might restate it this way. In those days, there was no binding moral consensus. So people followed their own moral or lack thereof compass. That sound like anybody or any country you know? Now, if we go back and look at the story, as crazy as it is, and hopefully you followed it, (laughs) every character did what was right in his own eyes. Us looking back, thousands of years later, think they were crazy, right? Whether it's the Levite throwing his concubine out the door, or cutting her up and sending her to other tribes, or the tribes deciding (laughs) we're going to wipe out the Benjamites, and even crazier, deciding to wipe out another town to give the women, give them wives, and then saying, oh, just show up at the festival and just kidnap yourself a wife. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and it was crazy. It was chaos. Now, before we point fingers at them, there's a little bit of that in you, and there's a little bit of that in me, isn't it? In fact, it's almost kind of the American dream. I get to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. So we'll put that on the screen. We like to think we have the freedom to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want. Now we do add a little caveat to it, don't we? And here it is. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody. 
Ever heard that? Ever said that? We all thought that, haven't we? Now, there's a few problems with this. Actually, there's a lot of problems with this. Now, we live in a culture where we're bombarded by advertisers and by the media, by movies and music, etc., that proclaims this message. And there's something inside of us in our hearts and our minds and our emotions that are stirred by that. That sounds, that's, that's, that's kind of cool. I'd like to be able to live that way. Now, here's the first big problem. Only the super rich can afford to do it. Now, most of you know, if you don't, uh, uh, we, just, we were on a trip for 12 days in France. We went, spent two days in Nice, and then we were on a river cruise for a week, and then we spent two days in Paris. <clears throat> Great time. Now, when will we do it again? Will we ever do it again? Hey, we'd be kind of cool to kind of do that once a month, wouldn't it? My wife said, yeah, she'd love to do that. There's a slight problem. We can't afford to do that once a month. And probably you can't either, right? See, only the super rich can do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whoever they want. And besides, you don't see this in the real world. We have a school teacher over here. Can you imagine? Well, your kids are a little small. Let's take a little older, maybe fifth graders. And the teacher's saying, oh, it's Friday afternoon. I want you kids to go home and do whatever you want with whomever you want, whenever you want. And I'll see you back on Monday. A teacher wouldn't last very long. They'd probably get fired, wouldn't they? Or imagine a DSS worker saying to a family that wants to get their children back, I'll tell you what, if you want to get your children back, just do whatever you want with whomever you want, whenever you want, and we'll proclaim you good parents and give your kids back. How about a judge standing before somebody's gotten in trouble? Well, I'll tell you what you need to do. I'll let you go free as long as you go ahead and do what you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. Now, why doesn't a judge do that? Why doesn't a teacher do that? Why doesn't a DSS worker do that? Because they live with the consequences, don't they? Of people that have tried this, that have done this. Now, a couple other problems. This generally works out a lot better for men than it does for women, right? Certainly did in our story. How would you like to be one of those ladies at that festival and gotten carried off to be somebody's worse yet to be the concubine. See, women, in, even today in some parts of the world, are considered possessions. And they suffer greatly for that. In fact, when, where women have gotten their rights, they've had to fight for them. Whether you go back to uh, 100 years ago or so when women had to get the right to vote. By the way, hope everybody votes this week. Um, important privilege we have. <clears throat> another big problem with this is this and this is one reason we're going to talk about it for a couple of weeks you can't do what's right in your own eyes without eventually hurting someone that little caveat as long as I don't hurt anybody is impossible now why is it impossible let me give you a couple of reasons it's impossible eventually you hurt you are you a somebody I think you are eventually you hurt you And you will be mastered by something. You'll be mastered by debt. You'll be mastered by some bad habit, some addiction, some, maybe some uh, relationship that you'd want to get out of, you want to stop, and you can't. This is the fascinating thing. The thing that has mastered you began as an expression of your freedom, right? 
Think about it. I have this credit card. I have the right to buy whatever I want, even if I can afford it or not. I have the right to hang out and have a relationship with whoever I want, marry whoever I want. I have a right to smoke or inject or whatever, or eat whatever I want. It started out as an expression of your freedom, and then you get mastered by it. And then you're a slave. No more freedom. So not only do you hurt you, you hurt the people with you. And that's why you parents get so freaked out about your kids' friends, right? Even though you've got great kids, if they hang with kids that aren't so great, you know, trouble's coming, right? Not only do you hurt the people with you, you hurt the people that care about you. When your kids get in trouble, it hurts you as a parent, doesn't it? When your spouse gets in trouble, it hurts you as a spouse. See, you can't, can't do what you want with anyone you want, with whoever you want, and not hurt somebody. It's impossible. It's a myth. It's a lie. Another way to think about this, you hurt the people coming after you. Now, we're all a little dysfunctional, let's admit, right? Some of you have a little OCD and some other issues. Now, as you get older, you start looking back and say, why am I the way I am? And most of us will say, oh, well, that's because my mom is like this and I'm a little bit like my dad. And, and the reason is they were doing whatever they wanted to do with whomever they wanted and that kind of affected me. In fact, it's affected me. In fact, my whole entire life, it's affected me and in some ways hurt me. It's impossible to live that way and not hurt someone. And just one more thought. Why would we aspire to the lowest possible level? What would be the win in doing that? Uh, obviously, we're deceived into thinking there's a win. It's, this is a good thing for us. Even though it hurts us and hurts people that we care about and hurts people come after us. So I'm going to put a twist on it. Why don't we aspire to this? I should be able to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it helps somebody. Now that's something to strive for, right? Aspire to greatness, not the bottom of the barrel. Now, to some degree we're all a little hypocritical, right? We're all hypocrites. Because we like to do what we want to do when we want to do it with whomever we want to do it. And eventually, problems come. Disasters come. And then we ask for help from people. We cry out to God for help. I've been, I'm in three small groups and we told our, kind of our stories. And the common thread in our stories is exactly this. <laughs> we've done what we wanted to do. We've got in trouble. And then we've asked for help. And most of, for most of us, that's when we came to God. We came to have a relationship with God. We cried out to God. No matter if you have a church background or not, and if you don't, we're glad that you're here. Uh, when the things get really bad, somehow, for some reason, we start praying. It's happened to the Israelites. It happens to us. Now here's the final question I want to ask you. If you were God, if you're God, 
how would you respond to people like us? The people that want to do what they want, when they want, whenever they want. How would you respond? Now the good news is God doesn't respond like we would respond, does he? We believe he's a loving, passionate, compassionate, caring, merciful, gracious God. And just like maybe your parents, when you called them from the police station or whatever, or you had that divorce and you, you were alone and wanted to come back home, they welcomed you back home. That's the kind of God we believe in and we choose to serve and follow. It's interesting, Christmas is coming up. In Christmas we celebrate the baby king, right? But we celebrate in a nation that doesn't want to have a king. They want to do what is right in their own eyes. We're just getting started with this topic. We'll be looking at it for at least a month of November. And we're glad that you're here. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we come back next week as we continue with right in, the, right in the Eye. So let's pray and we'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you. I thank you for all these folks. I thank you for their interest in coming here and, and uh, at least checking us out. For most of us here, Jesus followers is part of, our, part of our, uh, our pattern of our life where we desire to worship and gather with other like-minded people. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for all these stories, as crazy as they are. Uh, nothing else, we realize that people really haven't changed that much. Um, we thank you that you, God, are there for us. No matter what we've done, no matter how long we tried to do what we wanted and when we wanted, with whomever we wanted. You wait with open arms to accept us and have a relationship with us. And I want to pray for anyone, God, that's not a Jesus follower here this morning, that they would decide, hey, I want to step across that line. I want to find out what it's like to be a Jesus follower and not do what I think is right, but with you, God, is right. And you'll forgive me for my sins and we'll have this relationship and... Um, not that life will be easy, but life will be better. Thank you uh, for this opportunity to, to share your word this morning, God. I pray that uh, it has been helpful to the folks here. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.